Church, I'm really excited for what we're going to look at today. If this is your first time here, we've been looking at the book of Ephesians, and we've headed towards Ephesians 3. Uh, We're looking at verses 14 to 21. On this journey that we've been going on, Ian covered last week this revelation at the beginning of Ephesians 3 of the mystery of the gospel. And, And if you listen to what he said, one of the key comments and definitions he used was the complete union of Jews and Gentiles as part of the family in God. Now we have now been grafted into the promises of God, like a new branch grafted into a a plant. That's, that's what happened. We have now been grafted into the promises of God. And a day like this with baptisms, I genuinely don't know of better verses to look at in our Ephesians journey than what we're going to be looking at today. That I'm genuinely not sure about what other verses we could look at apart from these verses today. Like, to point the direction and the destination out, my destination that I, I feel I want to land in is where we want to be in a place where we want to be filled with the fullness of God. That's, that's my destination. And my direction through that is to travel through these verses to help unpack it a little bit more. Just to give some origination, some context, you might remember if you were here last week, Ian said that at the beginning of chapter 3, Paul starts with a prayer, and then you've got this big hyphen, and it's as if Paul digresses because it's something that he's aware of. And he wants to talk about the mystery of the gospel and the, the suffering that comes with that, but the reality that comes with that. And some commentators say that halfway through, round about verse 17, we start off this prayer again. Some commentators say that really at the beginning of verse 14, we're in this prayer. Truthfully, I don't think it matters which way you read it, but I think as you dive into the context of it, man on man, does it prayer and worship ring out? That's my aim. <laughs> it's a small aim. That's my aim, that the gospel, prayer and praise will just ring out. And hopefully, um, by the end of our time, and I I speak, we're going to have a space for response. I I don't think there's another way that I can preach on these and just kind of go, right, let's finish, let's have lunch. I don't think there's any other way than by finishing these verses and to have a time of response. So that's what we're doing. So we're going to do something a little bit different because I think there is something about the word of God audibly be spoken. Do you want to stand with me? We're going to read these verses together as a prayer over one another. Um, The verses are here. Um, So we're going to read it together. I'm going to try and go at the right pace because I know I speak quickly. But we're going to read them together. Then I'm going to pray and then we're going to unpack them chunk by chunk. Is anyone up for that? Okay, most of us, some of us. Everyone up for that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's read. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, 
according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Heavenly Father, I pray that these words will come to life in us. Holy Spirit, may you use your gospel, may you use your word to just bring life and bring us into a place of prayer and praise. We say in your holy name, amen. Amen. Take your seat. Okay, let's go through this. Start at the beginning. For this reason, I bow my knees. Paul writes, I bow my knees, praying in this cultural time wouldn't have been done in any other way but mainly standing. So they would have been standing majority of the time when it came to prayer. So Paul is stating this as a not common position that he's praying. What commentators write and what we can kind of see is, is this position of earnestness, of great intentionality saying, for this reason, I bow my knees. I get into a position of prayer. I'm not just standing, but I'm praying earnestly in this way for this overview. Paul is coming with these words, with this prayer, with great intention. It's not a rule about posture, and there isn't a rule about posture, but as long as it honors the Lord. So just because I know young people are in here, slouching is sloppiness. <laughs> yeah, slouching is sloppiness. You never look interested if you're slouching. The demeanor of your body can reflect the demeanor of your heart. But Paul isn't saying, I have to bow my knees to pray. No, he's saying, I bow my knees in great earnestness. I put myself in this position because of the words I'm about to say over you. So we're going into this prayer with this mentality already. Before the Father. Truthfully, I think I could spend the rest of the time just on this. I'm not going to. I think about it. I mean, Ian prayed it earlier. It's, it's not just the Savior, it's my Savior. Father has the same intentionality. Our Father is how Jesus invited us to prayer. Our Father. Think about it. God, the creator of all, the splendorous being, mighty warrior, the all-powerful one, the almighty, the great I am. You approach him as father. Jesus said, Abba, father, with his intimacy. It's not a terminology of degrading. It's a terminology of love and respect. It's the same terminology of a little child being brought up and cuddled. Our father in that kind of way. No Jewish teacher would have said this, but Jesus knew the first principle of prayer. Prayer is not about how you pray, but who you pray to. It's who you pray to that matters. Our Father, the intimacy, the adoption that said in Ephesians 1 verse 5, you have been adopted and now God is your Father. I want to make this clear as well. If the picture I'm painting of Father in your head is one that reflects your earthly father, and your earthly father you feel has let you down, I apologize. But that's not the image that the Bible states. 
The image that the Bible states is that earthly fathers, biological fathers, are meant to be a reflection of our heavenly fathers. And if there is a gap, the gap is with the biological father, not with our heavenly father. So please read the word. Read what heavenly father means. It means an intimate relationship with an all-powerful, all-being God that wants you. He's not distant. You're not a mistake. He looks at you and he wants you as a child to call him father. A privileged title. I bow my knees before the father. That's how we're approaching God in this way. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Completely united. We belong, if you're in Christ, we belong to one another. My adoption in Christ trumps my cultural background. Racism and racial bias or any separation there might be has no place or space in Christianity. It has no place. Being part of the family of God is the ultimate priority. Therefore, I live and I come from a cultural context, being Indian. I come from a cultural context, but the culture I live in is the family of God. And any part of that, that we can try and bring in our own cultural context to form separation, segregation, or that one culture is more superior than another is wrong. Because I belong to the body and the culture of Christ. It's why it states that every family is named. In the Greek, it can be translated saying from every fatherhood. It's kind of playing on this fact that you've got the father and fatherhood. The Greek literally has very similar terminologies, father and fatherhood, i.e. when you become a Christian, you're part of a family with a father that there is great oneness in that way. It's not a jumbled up mess. We sometimes might feel like that coming from dysfunctional families, but I belong to a family that has a clear father, a patriarch of the family that belongs to him, reflecting the Trinitarian family and the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit in oneness. We are in oneness. It's a call to be part of a body of believers. And if we separate or we segregate or we part of our own little cultural context in that family, then we end up falling short and we end up wonky from what the Bible actually calls, which is the oneness of family. When I make this clear, I believe sometimes, this is going to be a funny statement, I think it's sometimes important that we gather around food for, and gather around together and eat together to make sure there is oneness. I believe that it is right for us to do church lunches. Therewith I say, I believe that it brings spiritual intervention of making sure there is a oneness and proof of that rather than going into individual segregated um, social groups or cultural groups and being separated in that way. Stay for the church lunch. Be part of the oneness of family and integrate with those that you might not socially or culturally be united with, but you are culturally united with the family of God. So come stay. Stay. 
eat with us, be with us, and get to know the oneness of the family you're part of. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. We see from this moment, really, to the rest of this passage, Paul basically prays for three main things. For the Spirit's power to strengthen us, Christ indwelling within us, and for the fullness of Christ to be in us. And we'll see that as we kind of travel through. This can be summarized by the word empowering of the Spirit. The empowering of God. If you are in Christ... You are empowered, enabled. You are empowered by the Spirit in your very inner being. Same to the words Sophie brought earlier about the fact that God is with us in his power and his might. He will trek the Everest to find you. He has empowered you. You are to be completely filled by the power and might of God. And for that to become a reality of your life. There's no separation. There's complete oneness even in that as well. We're going to look at this theme as we continue. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. As you are being empowered by God, this is incredible. As you're being empowered by God, God continues to dwell in you. It's not like a service where he brings in something and then you kind of have that, but the waiter or the chef is distant. No, no, God is dwelling in you. For the last few weeks, we've been looking at how we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Christ is making a home in your heart. He's redoing the foundations. He's marking out where the curtains need to go. He's seeing what is the best room for the bedroom. Literally, as if you're going to a new home and seeing what needs to be done to make it a home, Christ is doing that in your hearts. He is renovating your heart to be his home. It's part of sanctification. That's what this is talking about. If you belong to Christ, Christ is dwelling in you. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are not absent to that. He is here to dwell in your hearts. <sighs> that you being rooted and grounded in love. Boy, oh boy. So we see this very similar to one of other Paul's letters. Colossians 2, verse 6 to 10. He, he writes very similar wording in this way. I'll read it. Therefore... As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Wow. NIV uh, translates it um, as rooted and established, enables to perceive love, and from knowing 
love. They are filled with the fullness of God's. By knowing God's love, we can be filled with the fullness. Love is both the source and the goal. From the experience of love, they know love. It's interesting, isn't it? From the experience of knowing God's love, they know love. They know what it means. We'll cover that again in a bit. And they are transformed by it. Spurgeon says it like this, looking at this analogy. Two expressions are used, rooted like a living tree which lays hold upon the soil, twisted itself round the rocks and cannot be upturned, grounded like a building which has settled as a whole and will never show any cracks or flaws in future through failures in the foundation. This analogy, talking about deep roots, going through, passing through soil, through rock, grounding in. And grounded like foundations, strong, everlasting. Then no matter what happens, the building will not crumble. That's what's happening to us. We are being rooted and grounded in God's love. As you know God's love more, you are rooted and grounded in him. Paul packs that out a bit more. You may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth says, or is rooted and grounded in love, the breadth is wide enough to, that is available for every person. It's embracing length, what is long enough to last through all eternity, that is everlasting. Height, what is high enough to take us all the way for all eternity with him for heaven. It's exalting. And depth. It's deep enough to reach the worst possible sinner. It's expiatory. It covers all things. His cross covers all things. There's not one person that is far away from God that God's love can't penetrate and get to and last forever and ever and ever. And if I fail, guess what? God's love lasts forever and ever and ever. And if I fail again, what happens? No, nothing, because God's love lasts forever and ever and ever. The NIV uses the word grasp. I love that word, to grasp something, to intentionally hold on to something, to copy the image of it. There's a difference of knowing about something and knowing of something. The theologian Jonathan Edwards uses a phenomenal analogy in one of his famous preachers about honey. And to kind of pardon the phrase, Essentially, what he says is, you can know the taste of honey is sweet through rational knowledge and judgment. But you can also know that honey is sweet through the taste of the tongue and sensational sweetness. In the former, you can know its sweetness, but you cannot truly know it until you've tasted it. You can theologically know the love of God. But you don't know it until you've tasted it. Do you know God's love? Or have you not yet tasted the sweet nectar of it? Do you know God's presence? 
Or have you not yet tasted the sweet nectar of his presence? After this, I want us to respond and give people a chance to no longer just know about it, but to know it. Anyway. Continues. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. It's consistent. You can see this, right? You can see this as we travel through the passage. The message is that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see that all the way through the, the, the Bible. We see the reality emerge in the New Testament. Paul prays here that Christ will permeate one's whole being. It's the equivalent to the command that we're going to see in chapter 5, verse 18, where he says, be continually filled with the Spirit. It's a continuous process. To know Christ's love is to be transformed by his love and expand it into the fullness of God. It's to believe and then be filled by. Let's not just be filled by a little. It's not just a little. It's not just kind of, you know when you go to uh, like a Nando's or a restaurant and you go to one of those soda machines, you know what I'm talking about, those, those things, and you, you take a cup and you put it and you kind of just fill up your cup and because it comes out so quickly, it bubbles too much and you fill the cup and you pull it out and you're like, how have I only ordered, like filled up a quarter of the cup? Like how has that happened? We're not talking about that. We're not talking about you put it under one of the soda machines, like all of the fullness of God, and you bring it out and actually the reality is it's just a quarter. We're talking about is you put it under there and it pours over and over and over. It's all the fullness of God. It's all of it. That's what's available to us. I.e., there's an extraordinary power available to believers. A power that can accomplish far more than we think or imagine. But it's a power that only comes by the Spirit sent from the Father through Jesus that fulfills the richness of God's glory. Is a power that doesn't belong to me, but is given to me by God and God alone. We see this promised, and we see the reality of it. In fact, I was reading this week through Isaiah, and Isaiah 44, it says this, For I will pour water on the thirsty land, and stream on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord. Another will call on the name of Jacob and another will write on his hand, the Lord and the name himself by the name of Israel. What you get in terms of the pour water and pour my spirit is a similar grounding word called ruach of God. So ruach of God's what it said in the Hebrew, means the breath of God that brings life, like rain pouring onto plants. That's what is available. God's glory is revealed in the Word. Acts 1 verse 8 says this, Jesus often was, when answering about God's power, he states, it is written. It is written in the Word. This is not just a concept that we're fantasizing. It is the reality of the gospel that we have the fullness, all the fullness of God available if you belong to him. Therefore, we need to hear, read, and believe the word of God. That when God calls us, we obey. Faith requires actions. 
It's a prayer for perseverance for Christ. That Christ would continue to dwell and we would continue to dwell in him. It's a prayer for being continuous. It's seeing the revelation of God's world. Sorry, revelation of God's word and the fulfilling of his spirit as a daily thing. The 80s, 100s theologian Adam Clark said it like this. Among all the great sayings in this prayer, this is the greatest. To be filled with God is a great thing. To be filled with the fullness of God is still greater. But to be filled with all the fullness of God is utterly bewildering. And it bewilders the sense and confounds the understanding. It surpasses all knowledge. We're not meant to comprehend it, but it is the reality of what we get. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power of his spirit within us. We end this bit, we end this chapter in what is called a doxology. What doxology is, is a prayer of praise to God. It's often similar to what um, uh, liturgies for Church of England or Anglican churches would say. It's a prayer of praise that would be declared and aligned to in terms of that word. I want to make it this clear. See the words for what they are. Don't treat the words as something that we just kind of proclaim and say. See the words. Have your heart soar in absolute joy. To God depends on whether you have the ears to hear and eyes to see and see the beautiful, admirable reality of what he's saying. We have God who is far more able to do abundantly more than what we can think. I truly believe sometimes in my life when I'm praying for God to move or anything like that, truthfully what I'm praying is, I don't know if he can do this, but if he can do this, it'll be nice. I think I limit and I bottleneck God's movement with my own expectation. God, I want you to break out into this. God, I want to stop doing this. Sometimes what I think I actually am saying in the hearts of hearts, being vulnerable with you, is I've fallen into this sin again. I don't really want to fall into it, but I might do. Not God break into my life and change me forever. Because if I fall into this again, I'm separating myself from you. But also the reality that God will move and he will break through in your life. Are we putting our own limitations what God can do compared to seeing that he's far more abundantly able to do more than we think? God's ways and thoughts are exceedingly beyond our own ways and thoughts. God is at work and eager to work in us to achieve his purpose for salvation. If we are to be filled with all the fullness of God, then I need to, I need to lay down all of my thoughts and lean into all of his fullness. There has to be a step of saying, I'm done with that. Therefore, what I'm learning to pray is I'm praying, God, expand my expectation. 
I'm learning to pray this regularly. God, expand my expectation that I would expect exceedingly more than I naturally do, that I'm fearful about, that I'm shy about. Expand my expectation for you to move. For this Sunday, for this morning, I've been praying earnestly for you, my beloved. Expand my expectation for what you're going to do this morning. I believe it's the same for us. Daily, what is your expectation for God to move? Is it the same framework, routine that you think it's going to be? Or is God actually able to do abundantly more than you know? Can we have the band back up? Is that all right? Let me finish with this. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Beyonce is glorified in a stadium. Harry Kane is glorified in Wembley. God is to be glorified in the church. God is to be glorified in the church. In the same way that if you go to a stadium and you hear celebrities' names proclaimed, lifted higher and higher, cheered, encouraged, God's name is to be glorified in the church. And that praise is to start here and to overflow and to roll out across all of you humanity. Seven Oaks should know the glory of God because it pours out and it starts in the church. That's what these verses are saying. The church has been brought into being to show the manifold glory of God to all the universe. It was God's plan A and there is no alternative plan. The church will last forever, for all eternity. If you are part of the church, you are part of that. You are part of the voice singing to the glory of God for all creation, for all humanity. Our destiny is therefore to be a loud voice and visible to sing out the doxology of God. And it is Christ who is to be proclaimed for all generations. For all generations. It doesn't matter what generation you are part of. For all the generations to come, for the next 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years, that all the generations to come, it starts with you. It starts with me. It starts with us singing for the glory of God's. Parents, how are you proclaiming the glory of God to your children? Grandparents, how are you proclaiming the glory of God to those who are younger than you? Those who are older in the church, how are you proclaiming the glory of God to the younger ones? 20s and 30s, how are you proclaiming the glory of God to those who are younger than you? And those who are older than you? And to all generations? I truly believe I will never stop being bothered about the next generation. I was thinking about this week. 
with the stuff that we're involved with in Ground and the stuff that's going on, I genuinely don't think I'll ever stop being bothered because I never want to stop the glory of God being praised and glorified for all generations. How are we proclaiming his glory? Do you want to stand with me? I think genuinely there's only two responses we can have. Genuinely. If, if you do not know Christ and you do not belong to him, you do not believe him and you see him as your father, I believe the response for you to choose that today. Everything that has been shared, everything that's been talked about, there's a chance to give your life to Jesus and to choose him. And I want to give that space for you today. The second response I have, and I believe, is for all of us who do belong to Christ, is to pray and be filled with all the fullness of God. Because that's available for you today and for every single day. This is the part where I believe the charismatic is right in believing. I want to lean on the, the movement and the glory of God and see what he wants to do. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to pray a prayer for those who want to give their life to Jesus for the first time. And we're going to wait. And after that, we're going to sing a song. I've already prepped the kids' work that we're going to go over. So we're going to go over. And after we sing just a bit of a song, I'm going to come back up and I'm going to ask the prayer team and I'm going to ask some of the leaders of the church to stand here. And this is a, remember what I've said, it's a faith with actions. Faith that is already there, but actions in obedience. If you want to be prayed, prayed for, to have the fullness of God, fresh again today, I want you to walk and come and be laid hands upon and for that to happen. And if we push back the lunch by 10 minutes, praise be to God. Because I think it's so much more important us seeing how the Holy Spirit wants to move than for us to be fixated on time in that way. I want him. I don't want an experience. I want his presence. What about you? So you, where you are, if you want to close your eyes, this prayer now is for those who have never given their life to Jesus before. It's also a prayer of recommitment. And if you want to recommit yourself, this is also for you. But I'm in particular talking to those who have come today and have never given their life to Jesus. You might have heard the gospel many times. This might have been your first time. And what this prayer is, is sorry, thank you, please. Alpha helps us with this. Follows the biblical model of repenting. Sorry for what I've done. Thank you that you saved me. And believe. Help me to live a life with the help of the Spirit for you every single day. So if you've never given your life to Jesus, I'm going to pray a prayer. If you just follow the words I say, and afterwards, while everyone's eyes are shut, I'm going to ask you to put up your hand as a step of faith, saying today is a different day. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I'm sorry for what I have done. I'm sorry that I have sinned. I'm sorry for falling short of the glory of God. And I ask for you to forgive me. 
and I repent and turn from my old life, which is gone, to my new life, which lasts forever. And I thank you that Jesus, that you have saved me. And Holy Spirit, help me to live a life for you from today forever. In your holy name, amen. If anyone can keep their eyes shut. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, can you lift up your hand up now? It's a step of obedience and action. If you lift up your hand now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, God. Great. If you lower your hands now, thank you. just want to say, if you did raise your hand, the calling to be filled with all the fullness of God is now for you. So what I want to ask you to do is when we come after after sing a song, I want you to come and be laid hands and prayed for because this is a, a joyful, rejoicing day. Says there is a party in heaven when a child comes home. So right now in worship, we're going to rejoice and then we're going to have a moment where we're going to spawn this way. Amen?